Good evening, listener, and welcome to Mr. Spike's Bedtime Stories. I do hope you are sitting comfortably. You are? Very good. Then I shall begin tonight's tale. The Colour Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft Part 2 April brought a kind of madness to the country folk, and began that disuse of the road past names which led to its ultimate abandonment. It was the vegetation. All the orchard trees blossomed forth in strange colours, and through the stony soil of the yard and adjacent pasturage there sprang up a bizarre growth which only a botanist could connect with the proper flora of the region. No sane, wholesome colours were anywhere to be seen except in the green grass and leafage, but everywhere were those hectic and prismatic variants of some diseased, underlying primary tone without a place among the known tints of earth. The Dutchman's breeches became a thing of sinister menace, and the blood-rots grew insolent in their chromatic perversion. Amy and the gardeners thought that most of the colours had a sort of haunting familiarity, and decided that they reminded one of the brittle globule in the meteor. Nahum ploughed and sowed the ten-acre pasture in the upland lot, but did nothing with the land around the house. He knew it would be of no use, and hoped that the summer's strange growths would draw all the poison from the soil. He was prepared for almost anything now, and had grown used to the sense of something near him waiting to be heard. The shunning of his house by neighbours told on him, of course, but it told on his wife more. The boys were better off being at school each day, but they could not help being frightened by the gossip. Thaddeus, an especially sensitive youth, suffered the most. In May the insects came, and Nahum's place became a nightmare of buzzing and crawling. Most of the creatures seemed not quite usual in their aspects and motions, and their nocturnal habits contradicted all former experience. The gardeners took to watching at night, watching in all directions at random for something, they could not tell what. It was then that they owned that Thaddeus had been right about the trees. Mrs. Gardiner was the next to see it from the window as she watched the swollen boughs of a maple against a moonlit sky. The boughs surely moved, and there was no wind. It must be the sap. Strangeness had come into everything growing now, yet it was none of Nahum's family at all who made the next discovery. Familiarity had dulled them, and what they could not see was glimpsed by a timid windmill salesman from Bolton, who drove by one night in ignorance of the country legends. What he told in Arkham was given a short paragraph in the Gazette, and it was there that all the farmers, Nahum included, saw it first. The night had been dark, and the buggy lamps faint, but around a farm in the valley which everyone knew from account must be Nahum's, the darkness had been less thick. A dim though distinct luminosity seemed to inhere in all the vegetation, grass, leaves and blossoms alike, while at one moment a detached piece of the phosphorescence appeared to stir furtively in the yard near the barn. The grass had so far seemed untouched, and the cows were freely pastured in the lot near the house, but toward the end of May the milk began to be bad. Then Nahum had the cows driven to the uplands, after which this trouble ceased. 
Not long after this, the change in grass and leaves became apparent to the eye. All the verdure was going grey, and was developing a highly singular quality of brittleness. Amy was now the only person who ever visited the place, and his visits were becoming fewer and fewer. When school closed, the gardeners were virtually cut off from the world, and sometimes let Amy do their errands in town. They were failing, curiously, both physically and mentally. And no one was surprised when the news of Mrs. Gardiner's madness stole around. It happened in June, about the anniversary of the meteor's fall, and the poor woman screamed about things in the air which she could not describe. In her raving there was not a single specific noun, but only verbs and pronouns. Things moved and changed and fluttered, and ears tingled to impulses which were not wholly sounds. Something was taken away. She was being drained of something. Something was fastening itself on her that ought not to be. Someone must make it keep off. Nothing was ever still in the night. The walls and windows shifted. Nahum did not send her to the county asylum, but let her wander about the house as long as she was harmless to herself and others. Even when her expression changed, he did nothing. But when the boys grew afraid of her, and Thaddeus nearly fainted at the way she made faces at him, he decided to keep her locked in the attic. By July she had ceased to speak and crawled on all fours, and before that month was over, Nahum got the mad notion that she was slightly luminous in the dark, as he now clearly saw was the case with the nearby vegetation. It was a little before this that the horses had stampeded. Something had aroused them in the night, and their neighing and kicking in their stalls had been terrible. There seemed virtually nothing to do to calm them, and when Nahum opened the stable door they all bolted out like frightened woodland deer. It took a week to track all four, and when found they were seen to be quite useless and unmanageable. Something had snapped in their brains, and each one had to be shot for its own good. Nahum borrowed a horse from Amy for his haying, but found it would not approach the barn. It shied, balked, and whinnied, and in the end he could do nothing but drive it into the yard while the men used their own strength to get the heavy wagon near enough the hayloft for convenient pitching. And all the while the vegetation was turning grey and brittle. Even the flowers whose hues had been so strange were greying now, and the fruit was coming out grey and dwarfed and tasteless. The asters and goldenrod bloomed grey and distorted, and the roses and zinnias and hollyhocks in the front yard were such blasphemous-looking things that Nahum's oldest boy Zenus cut them down. The strangely puffed insects died about that time, even the bees that had left their hives and taken to the woods. By September, all the vegetation was fast crumbling to a greyish powder, and Nahum feared that the trees would die before the poison was out of the soil. His wife now had spells of terrific screaming, and he and the boys were in a constant state of nervous tension. They shunned people now, and when school opened the boys did not go. But it was Amy, on one of his rare visits, who first realised that the well water was no longer good. It had an evil taste that was not exactly fetid, not exactly salty, and Amy advised his friend to dig another well on higher ground to use till the soil was good again. Nahum, however, ignored the warning, 
for he had by that time become callous to strange and unpleasant things. He and the boys continued to use the tainted supply, drinking it as listlessly and mechanically as they ate their meagre and ill-cooked meals, and did their thankless and monotonous chores through the aimless days. There was something of stolid resignation about them all, as if they walked half in another world between lines of nameless guards to a certain and familiar doom. Thaddeus went mad in September after a visit to the well. He had gone with a pail and had come back empty-handed, shrieking and waving his arms, and sometimes lapsing into an inane titter or a whisper about the moving colours down there. Two in one family was pretty bad, but Nahum was very brave about it. He let the boy run about for a week until he began stumbling and hurting himself, and then he shut him in an attic room across the hall from his mother's. The way they screamed at each other from behind their locked doors was very terrible, especially to little Merwin, who fancied they talked in some terrible language that was not of earth. Merwin was getting frightfully imaginative, and his restlessness was worse after the shutting away of the brother who had been his greatest playmate. Almost at the same time the mortality among the livestock commenced. Poultry turned greyish and died very quickly, their meat being found dry and noisome upon cutting. Hogs grew inordinately fat, then suddenly began to undergo loathsome changes which no one could explain. Their meat was of course useless, and Nahum was at his wit's end. No rural veterinary would approach his place, and the city veterinary from Arkham was openly baffled. The swine began growing grey and brittle and falling to pieces before they died, and their eyes and muzzles developed singular alterations. It was very inexplicable, for they had never been fed from the tainted vegetation. Then something struck the cows. Certain areas, or sometimes the whole body, would be uncannily shriveled or compressed, and atrocious collapses or disintegrations were common. In the last stages, and death was always the result, there would be a greying and turning brittle like that which beset the hogs. There could be no question of poison, for all the cases occurred in a locked and undisturbed barn. No bites of prowling things could have brought the virus, for what live beast of earth can pass through solid obstacles? It must only be natural disease, yet what disease could wreak such results was beyond any mind's guessing. When the harvest came, there was not an animal surviving on the place, for the stock and poultry were dead and the dogs had run away. These dogs, three in number, had all vanished one night and were never heard of again. The five cats had left some time before, but their going was scarcely noticed, since there now seemed to be no mice, and only Mrs. Gardner had made pets of the graceful felines. On the 19th of October, Nahum staggered into Amy's house with hideous news. The death had come to poor Thaddeus in his attic room, and it had come in a way which could not be told. Nahum had dug a grave in the railed family plot beside the farm, and had put therein what he found. There could have been nothing from outside, for the small barred window and locked door were intact, but it was much as it had been in the barn. Amy and his wife consoled the stricken man as best they could, but shuddered as they did so. Stark terror seemed to cling round the gardeners and all they touched, 
and the very presence of one in the house was a breath from regions unnamed and unnameable. Amy accompanied Nahum home with the greatest reluctance, and did what he might to calm the hysterical sobbing of little Merwin. Zenas needed no calming. He had come of late to do nothing but stare into space and obey what his father told him, and Amy thought that his fate was very merciful. Now and then Merwin's screams were answered faintly from the attic, and in response to an inquiring look Nahum said that his wife was getting very feeble. When night approached, Amy managed to get away, for not even friendship could make him stay in that spot when the faint glow of the vegetation began, and the trees may or may not have swayed without wind. It was really lucky for Amy that he was not more imaginative. Even as things were, his mind was bent ever so slightly, but had he been able to connect and reflect upon all the portents around him, he must inevitably have turned a total maniac. In the twilight he hastened home, the screams of the mad woman and the nervous child ringing horribly in his ears. Three days later Nahum burst into Amy's kitchen in the early morning, and in the absence of his host stammered out a desperate tale once more, while Mrs. Pierce listened in a clutching fright. It was little Merwin this time. He was gone. He had gone out late at night with a lantern and pail for water, and had never come back. He'd been going to pieces for days and hardly knew what he was about, screamed at everything. There had been a frantic shriek from the yard then, but before the father could get to the door, the boy was gone. There was no glow from the lantern he had taken, and of the child himself, no trace. At the time, Nahum thought the lantern and pail were gone too, but when dawn came and the man had plodded back from his all-night search of the woods and fields, he had found some very curious things near the well. There was a crushed and apparently somewhat melted mass of iron which had certainly been the lantern, while a bent handle and twisted iron hoops beside it, both half-fused, seemed to hint at the remnants of the pail. That was all. Nahum was past imagining, Mrs. Pierce was blank, and Amy, when he had reached home and heard the tale, could give no guess. Merwin was gone, and there would be no use in telling the people around who shunned all gardeners now. No use either in telling the city people at Arkham who laughed at everything. Thad was gone, and now Merwin was gone. Something was creeping and creeping and waiting to be seen and heard. Nahum would go soon, and he wanted Amy to look after his wife and Zenas if they survived him. It must all be a judgment of some sort, though he could not fancy what for, since he had always walked uprightly in the Lord's ways so far as he knew. For over two weeks Amy saw nothing of Nahum, and then, worried about what might have happened, he overcame his fears and paid the garden a place of visit. There was no smoke from the great chimney, and for a moment the visitor was apprehensive of the worst. The aspect of the whole farm was shocking. Greyish, withered grass and leaves on the ground, vines falling in brittle wreckage from archaic walls and gables, and great bare trees clawing up at the grey November sky with a studied malevolence which Amy could not but feel had come from some subtle change in the tilt of the branches. But Nahum was alive after all. He was weak and lying on a couch in the low-ceilinged kitchen, but perfectly conscious and able to give simple orders to Zenas. The room was deadly cold, 
and as Amy visibly shivered, the host shouted huskily to Zenas for more wood. Wood, indeed, was sorely needed, since the cavernous fireplace was unlit and empty, the cloud of soot blowing about in the chill wind that came down the chimney. Presently Nahum asked him if the extra wood had made him any more comfortable, and then Amy saw what had happened. The stoutest cord had broken at last, and the hapless farmer's mind was proof against more sorrow. Questioning tactfully, Amy could get no clear data at all about the missing Zenus. In the well. He lives in the well, was all that the clouded father could say. Then there flashed across the visitor's mind a sudden thought of the mad wife, and he changed his line of inquiry. Abby! Why, here she is! was the surprised response of poor Nahum. And Amy soon saw that he must search for himself. Leaving the harmless babbler on the couch, he took the keys from their nail beside the door and climbed the creaking stairs to the attic. It was very close and noisome up there, and no sound could be heard from any direction. Of the four doors in sight, only one was locked, and on this he tried various keys of the ring he had taken. The third key proved the right one, and after some fumbling, Amy threw open the low white door. It was quite dark inside, for the window was small and half obscured by the crude wooden bars, and Amy could see nothing at all on the wide planked floor. The stench was beyond enduring, and before proceeding further he had to retreat to another room and return with his lungs filled with breathable air. When he did enter, he saw something dark in the corner, and upon seeing it more clearly he screamed outright. While he screamed he thought a momentary cloud eclipsed the window, and a second later he felt himself brushed as if by some hateful current of vapour. Strange colours danced before his eyes, and had not a present horror numbed him, he would have thought of the globule in the meteor that the geologist's hammer had shattered, and of the morbid vegetation that had sprouted in the spring. As it was, he thought only of the blasphemous monstrosity which confronted him, which all too clearly had shared the nameless fate of young Thaddeus and the livestock. But the terrible thing about the horror was that it very slowly and perceptibly moved as it continued to crumble. Amy would give me no added particulars of this scene, but the shape in the corner does not reappear in his tale as a moving object. There are things which cannot be mentioned, and what is done in common humanity is sometimes cruelly judged by the law. I gathered that no moving thing was left in that attic room, and that to leave anything capable of motion there would have been a deed so monstrous as to damn any accountable being to eternal torment. Anyone but a stolid farmer would have fainted or gone mad, but Amy walked conscious through that low doorway and locked the accursed secret behind him. There would be Nahum to deal with now. He must be fed and tended, and removed to some place where he could be cared for. Commencing his descent of the dark stairs, Amy heard a thud below him. He even thought a scream had been suddenly choked off, and he recalled nervously the clammy vapour which had brushed by him in that frightful room above. What presence had his cry and entry started up? Haunted by some vague fear, he heard still further sounds below. 
Indubitably, there was a sort of heavy dragging, and a most detestably sticky noise, as if some fiendish and unclean species of suction. With an associative sense goaded to feverish heights, he thought unaccountably of what he had seen upstairs. Good God! What eldritch dream-world was this into which he had blundered? He dared move neither backward nor forward, but stood there trembling at the black curve of the boxed-in staircase. Every trifle of the scene burned itself into his brain. The sounds, the sense of dread expectancy, the darkness, the steepness of the narrow step, and, merciful heaven, the faint but unmistakable luminosity of all the woodwork in sight, steps, sides, exposed laths and beams alike. Then there burst forth a frantic whinny from Amy's horse outside, followed at once by a clatter which told of a frenzied runaway. In another moment the horse and buggy had gone beyond earshot, leaving the frightened man on the dark stairs to guess what had sent them. But that was not all. There had been another sound out there, a sort of liquid splash, water. It must have been the well. He had left Hero untied near it, and a buggy wheel must have brushed the coping and knocked in a stone. And still the pale phosphorescence glowed in that detestably ancient woodwork. God, how old the house was! Most of it built before 1670, and the gambrel roof no later than 1730. A feeble scratching on the floor downstairs now sounded distinctly, and Amy's grip tightened on a heavy stick which he had picked up in the attic for some purpose. Slowly nerving himself, he finished his descent and walked boldly toward the kitchen, but he did not complete the walk, because what he sought was no longer there. It had come to meet him, and it was still alive after a fashion. Whether it had crawled, or whether it had been dragged by any external forces, Amy could not say, but the death had been at it. Everything had happened in the last half-hour, but collapse, greying, and disintegration were already far advanced. There was a horrible brittleness, and dry fragments were scaling off. Amy could not touch it, but looked horrified into the distorted parody that had been a face. "'What was it, Niam? What was it?' he whispered and the cleft, bulging lips were just able to crackle out a final answer. Nothing, nothing, the colour, it burns, cold and wet, but it burns. It lived in the well, I seen it, I can smoke, just like the flowers last spring. The well shone that night, Dad. Merwin seen us. Everything alive <coughs> sucked the life out of everything. And that stone must come, and the stone poisoned the whole place. Don't know what it wants. That round thing the men from the college dug out of the stone. <laughs> he smashed it. Uh, it was the same color. Uh, 
just the same, like the flowers and, and the plants. And, oh, must have been more of them. The seeds, the seeds, they growed. I, I seen it the first time this week. Must have got strong on Zenus. Oh, he was a big boy, full of life. It breeds down your mind and then gets you, burns you up. In the well water, you was right about that. Evil water. Zenas never come back from the well. <laughs> Can't get away. Draws you. You know summit's coming, but it ain't no use. I seen it, it time and again since Zenas was took. <laughs> Where's Nabby? Abby? Why, it's no good. Don't know how long since I fed her. It'll get her if we ain't careful. Just a color. Her face is getting to have that color sometimes towards night. <laughs> and it burns and sucks. It come from some place where things ain't as they is here. One of them professors said so. He was right. Look out, Hammy. It'll do some more. Sucks the life out. But that was all. That which spoke could speak no more, because it had completely caved in. Amy laid a red-checked tablecloth over what was left and reeled out the back door into the fields. He climbed the slope to the ten-acre pasture and stumbled home by the north road in the woods. He could not pass that well from which his horses had run away. He had looked at it through the window and had seen that no stone was missing from the rim. Then the lurching buggy had not dislodged anything after all. The splash had been something else, something which went into the well after it had done with poor Nahum. When Amy reached his house, the horses and buggy had arrived before him and thrown his wife into fits of anxiety. Reassuring her without explanations, he set out at once for Arkham and notified the authorities that the Gardner family was no more. He indulged in no details, but merely told of the deaths of Nahum and Nabby, that of Thaddeus being already known, and mentioned that the cause seemed to be the strange ailment which had killed the livestock. He also stated that Merwin and Zenas had disappeared. There was considerable questioning at the police station, and in the end Amy was compelled to take three officers to the Gardner farm, together with the coroner, the medical examiner, and the veterinary who had treated the diseased animals. He went much against his will, for the afternoon was advancing and he feared the fall of night over that accursed place. But it was some comfort to have so many people with him. So ends part two. Thank you once again for listening.
please tune in next time for the final part of The Color Out of Space.